You are Locked On Rockets, your daily Houston Rockets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And the changes continue. Hi, everyone, and welcome into a special weekend episode here at Lockdown Rockets, your podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball. As always, I'm your host, Ben DuBose, Rockets correspondent with Sports Talk 790, the team's official radio flagship in Houston. Today's show is brought to you courtesy of Hotels.com. Don't hate like your friend's trip. Instead, book your own with Hotels.com and get rewarded basically everywhere. That's Hotels.com. Be there, do that, and get rewarded. As we chat this Saturday afternoon, it's been a busy 24 hours or so for the Rockets. Since we last spoke in Thursday evening's show, I said at that time I anticipated it being a relatively quiet Memorial Day weekend and that we would pick things up next week. Well, that's what I get for assuming. Instead, the Rockets Friday afternoon announced a wave of departures, or technically the Rockets did not announce it. The departing coaches announced that they would not be back. We already knew that Jeff Bestelic would not be returning well, assistant coaches Roy Rogers and Mitchell Vanya, along with video coordinator John Cho and player development coach Irv Rowland, all said Friday that they would not be back in Houston. The Rockets making the announcement to them on Friday afternoon that their contracts would not be renewed. So that's five coaches from this past year's coaching staff that at this point have said that they've gotten the notice that they will not be coming back. So there's going to be a lot of turnover, even if Mike D'Antoni returns as head coach which owner Tillman Fertitta has said is the plan, there's certainly going to be, at this point, more than half of the staff beneath D'Antoni going in a new direction. As far as what we're going to discuss on this Saturday, I'm going to break it into two parts. I'm going to start with why the changes were made, the Rockets especially putting an emphasis on defense because Bestalek, Roy Rogers, Mitchell Vanya, these are your coaches that have specialized more on the defensive side of the ball. Those that focus on offense seem to be safe. And I do think there's some implications for Mike D'Antoni there as well. So in the first segment, we're going to look at why these changes were made. And then in the second segment, we're going to look at where the Rockets go from here when it comes to filling out the staff and what this sudden wave of vacancies tells us about the Rockets and also potentially how Mike D'Antoni's current status as just having one year left on his existing deal could play into it and potentially be problematic if the Rockets truly are looking to hire an entirely new staff and don't already have some commitments in place. Anyway, let's start with why. And the reason I want to start here, I've seen over the past few days a lot of common misconceptions on social media. And when Vesdelic, this was a week ago Saturday, when that news broke, I saw a lot of people framing it as though Vesdelic was a scapegoat for the Rockets, specifically new owner Tillman Fertitta. And this kind of comes with the territory. Anytime there's a new owner and a lot of the fan base isn't familiar with him, then any questionable decision tends to get pushed onto ownership because there's just not that trust that's been accrued over many successful years. And I understand that instinct and where it comes from. However, in this case, I think what Friday's move should show you is that it's much bigger than that. I also don't agree. I've seen some other takes in the last 24 hours or so that because Tillman Fertitta played a big role in picking up Mike D'Antoni's option for the final year of his contract, which is next season, 
that perhaps these dismissals are Daryl Morey lashing out at that decision and trying to control what he can control. I also don't believe that. And the reason I would push back on these narratives, to me, now that you have five vacancies, five guys let go, it seems pretty clear that this is a much larger philosophical decision. If you're trying to find a scapegoat, I guess I could see Jeff Bezdelic fitting the bill. He's one of the more high-profile assistants in the NBA. But you don't scapegoat the video coordinator, who, by the way, has been with the Rockets since 2008, going back to the Rick Adelman administration. You don't scapegoat lower-rung assistant coaches that only 10% of the fan base can name. Now, I'm guessing many of you can because you're diehards listening to me here at Locked on Rockets. But if you're looking for a scapegoat to say, we lost to the Warriors, our goal was to win a championship, heads are going to roll, these are not the guys that you target. I didn't really buy it when it was Bezdelic alone, but at least in theory, it was plausible. However, now that we know it's not just Jeff Bezdelic and it is extending down the staff, that indicates much more of a broader philosophical change and the Rockets looking for outside input than it does any emotional reaction to what happened against the Warriors. Now, as far as whether I agree with it, it's tough to say at this point. I think these are good coaches. However, there are lots of good coaches. And until we see who the replacements are, and really beyond just seeing who they are, also how they mesh with the team and the results on the floor once things get going in the fall, it's hard to have a conclusive take on whether these changes are for better or for worse. For now, all I'll say is that I don't think that this is an emotional overreaction, be it trying to find a scapegoat, or in the case of Gerald Morey, frustration that, that Tillman Fertitta was the one who picked up the option year for Mike D'Antoni's contract. Because the coaches that were let go are predominantly focused on the defensive side of the ball. The offensive staff is safe. What do we know about Mike D'Antoni? He is an offense first coach. That's why they brought in a big name in Jeff Thesdalek to head up the defense. Because it's not D'Antoni's forte. If they were trying to force D'Antoni out, you would focus on his wheelhouse. Instead, they're leaving his wheelhouse largely untouched, at least to this point. So that's why I don't buy the narratives that it's about scapegoating or that there's some displeasure in terms of the option year being picked up without Gerald being fully on board. I've seen those takes out there. I don't buy it. I think this is much more of a calculated decision by the Rockets that they want to go in a different direction. And as I see it, there are some plausible reasons for wanting to move on philosophically. For starters, the Rockets this past season, they were 18th in the league defensively. Two years ago, when they won 65 games, they were 7th in the league in net defensive rating. So they went from top 10 to bottom half. That's definitely a decline. And I know they picked it up after the All-Star break. They were top 5 defensively over the final 25 games or so. But one common theme we have heard from the Rockets, really ever since Game 6 went final against the Warriors, is that they are taking very seriously what happened early in the season. Home court, for example, that's a variable they had a year ago against Golden State that they did not have this season. So they're looking at the entire season as a whole. Just because they finished well defensively, it doesn't mean the season as a whole was a success on that side of the ball. They did slip. Now, you can point to the fact that they got better as the season moved along. You can also note that in the offseason, they lost important defensive personnel. Trevor Ariza, Luke Bamute went out, and the guys that ultimately kind of filled their spots in the rotation, Austin Rivers, Daniel House, Iman Shumpert, 
They were not acquired until various points during the season. Okay, I'll buy that to an extent, except for the fact that against the Warriors, the Rockets lost that series on the defensive side of the ball. They gave up a combined 68 points in the fourth quarters of Game 5 and Game 6 when the Rockets had leads in both of those games and they were there for the taking. James Harden was excellent. The Rockets produced offensively in Game 6. Chris Paul was excellent as well. They lost the series because they could not get stops. So even from the micro view that, hey, we break down the season into parts and some of the struggles early on, the front office pushed Carmelo Anthony onto them. They lost all these pieces that were defensively viable. Trevor Ariza, Luke Bamute, the ultimate replacements didn't arrive until later on and they did get better. Yeah, you can make that case. But even from such a micro view like that, then they still got worse at the end of the season and they did not get the stops that they needed against the Warriors. And now you factor in Kevin Durant likely to leave Golden State in the offseason. You're probably looking at a bit of a reboot no matter what you do in terms of the staff because Golden State defending them is going to be different than the switch everything scheme from the past couple of years that was designed with the Kevin Durant Warriors in mind to sort of muck them up and get them into an ugly isolation style. Now, if Durant leaves, you're going to see much more of the 2015, the 2016 ball and player movement approach from the Warriors led by Steph Curry. So there were going to be some changes regardless, and perhaps the Rockets feel that they need to go outside of the staff that's brought this Kevin Durant-centric game plan for the past couple of years, because for the Rockets, everything is about the Golden State Warriors. So as I see it, both micro and macro, from season to season, they slipped, and even giving them the benefit of the doubt from the standpoint of, sure, the Rockets... They got the roster right, but it took them until during the season. Okay, but in the playoffs, defense was an issue as well. So I can see why the Rockets would want to consider outside input, and I think there's a case for it. Now, I can't tell you 100% that it's going to work out because we don't know who they're hiring yet, and we don't know how those new coaches are going to mesh with the team. All I can tell you is that I think there's a very plausible basketball case. What I'll leave you with is this. I think where a lot of these analysis pieces fall short. Whenever fans and media see a coach get fired, they often make it applicable to non-basketball job situations. Did so-and-so deserve to be fired? And the logic that gets used is comparable to most other jobs. Being an NBA coach and running an NBA franchise is very, very different. The coaches that the Rockets have let go Jeff Vestelic, Roy Rogers, Mitchell Vanya, Irv Roland, video coordinator John Cho. I think these are all very good guys that are good at their jobs. I am not trying to throw shade on them at all. These are three of the most successful years in Rockets franchise history, the first three of Mike D'Antoni's staff. They all should be applauded for their work, and I'm sure they'll get other jobs in the NBA. However, the bar for most jobs is not the Golden State Warriors. If your company, your school, wherever it is that you work, even if they're not the absolute best in their field, as long as they're profitable, as long as they're pretty good, that's generally fine. The NBA doesn't work that way. If you are trying to win a championship to be the best of 30 in any year, and especially now with the Warriors setting the bar historically high, you have to be incredibly cutthroat. So that's why I look at this and I see a lot of the reactions from folks that are skeptical, should these people have been fired? Judging by the standard of 99% of society, no. However, basketball coaching and really personnel, everything that has to do with running an NBA team is very, very different than most jobs. The bar is phenomenally high. 
being good often is not good enough. You have to be great. And that means taking some risk that a lot of industries and a lot of hirers don't make. The Rocket staff was fine, but what they feel is that they need some sort of jolt, some sort of outside input to get them to the next level. I don't know that it's going to work, but with the bar as high as it is, all I can tell you is that I completely understand why they might go in this direction. Now, as far as what they might do and who they might hire to replace these five outgoing coaches, we'll talk about that in just a couple of minutes. But for now, I do want to pause and remind you guys about our awesome sponsors and partners over at Himalaya. And to get this show each and every day, as always, I remind you guys to subscribe to Locked in Rockets on the new Himalaya podcast app. In an ever-expanding podcast world, you need Himalaya with their personally curated playlist and new features each and every day. Download Himalaya at your app store and subscribe to Locked on Rockets. Okay, welcome back to Locked on Rockets. As always, I'm your host, Ben DuBose. On this Saturday show, we're looking at the recent wave of Rockets coaching changes, where they might go from here. We spent the first segment discussing why the Rockets would make these changes, even from a staff that over the first three years of Mike D'Antoni in Houston has won 55 games, 65 games, and then 53. And even the 53, they're on a 60-plus win pace for the final 60 games of the season. So there's been a lot of success under the current regime. However, when the bar is the Golden State Warriors, you have to do some unconventional things. And I think at this point, the Rockets are looking to chip away at the margins however they can. And to this point, we have not heard who they might replace any of these five vacancies with, or these departed coaches, I should say, four coaches and one uh, video coordinator. And as I see it, there's two plausible ways that we move forward. And when I say we, I mean the Rockets, the organization. First, there's possibility that they already know and have some sort of understanding with who they're going to replace some or all of these positions with. The second consideration or possibility is if they're truly going to do an open search, a canvas of the market, and they don't know yet. And in this second segment, I'm going to look at both of these possibilities. And the second one in particular could be really interesting because it dovetails with another theme of the Rockets offseason from a coaching standpoint, which is whether or not they ink an extension with Mike D'Antoni. Because one thing that seems to be becoming more clear is that Mike D'Antoni's lack of stability could have some negative effects in terms of the attractiveness of the job to other coaches. So if they are truly open-ended and don't have deals lined up, then they may need to resolve the D'Antoni situation first as far as his contract beyond this season. Anyway, I'll start with the rosier scenario, which is let's say the Rockets already have a big name lined up. It's highly possible. I have not heard any specific names yet. I've seen folks on Twitter wondering about Tom Thibodeau. Look, there are some connections between Thibodeau and the Rockets. He was on the staff with Jeff Van Gundy that was in place when Gerald Morey got to Houston. Obviously, Thibodeau has a relationship with Jimmy Butler, who's expected to be a Rockets target this offseason. So you can connect the dots. And if a bigger name such as Tom Thibodeau or really anyone else were to be brought on board, the Rockets structure is different in that Mike D'Antoni is so focused on the offensive side, generally they give that defensive coordinator slot which Jeff Fazdelic held this past season, the keys to the car on that side of the ball. And if they're bringing in a bigger name for that slot, then that person may want to bring one or two of his own staffers as well to put in underneath him. I have not been told that that's the case, but if you want to be optimistic, 
you could mount a case that that's what's going on. And I could see that it fits with what we have heard to this point, because the offensive coaches have largely stayed untouched. It's those that focused on defense that are being cycled out. And if the Rockets have an understanding with a bigger name, then that guy might want to bring in one or two of his own personnel. And that's why they're letting some of the existing staff go so that whoever the new guy is leading the defense can then bring in his own people. That makes a lot of sense. That's a possibility. And I do think the Rockets, with a contending roster, with a decent amount of money and prestige as a franchise, it should be an attractive job. So that's a possibility. Again, I have not heard any concrete names as far as whether that's actually what's going on. But I think that's the rosiest scenario, that this is all part of a calculated plan. I would love for that to be the case. And one more reason that you might believe that that's what's going on, Irv Roland in particular is a really interesting name for the Rockets to move on from because he's a close confidant of James Harden, Chris Paul, P.J. Tucker. He's actually James's personal trainer. He joined the Rockets in an official role in 2016. We all know that James Harden has a lot to do with every level of the Rockets organization. And I can't imagine having his personal trainer someone that he trusts and works with being let go is something that he'd really be on board with unless he had a pretty good idea of who the replacement might be. Now, granted, Roland will still get to train James Harden. It's not like just because he's not on staff that Harden and Roland will not work together. But certainly James, now you could point out that Harden now being under contract for four more years, it's not like he has the same leverage if he were going to be a free agent conceivably in a year or two. That said, I think the Rockets know that James Harden is where their bread is buttered. He is the leader of the organization in every conceivable way. So if you want to believe that something's in place, I think letting Roland go in particular is something that would seem to signal some confidence because I can't imagine letting him go given his relationship to Harden and also with Chris Paul and P.J. Tucker without those guys having at least some comfort in what the direction is moving forward for that position. All of those are reasons why it's highly plausible that they might have a name or two already in mind that they've had some informal discussions with to fill one or more of those slots that have now become open with Bestelic, Roy Rogers, Mitchell Vanya, John Cho, the video coordinator. Who am I forgetting? There's been so many. Oh, and Irv Roland, of course, all becoming available, those spots over the past week. There could be something that's already the wheels in motion, and we just don't know it yet because the announcements have not been made. That's possible. However, the other side that's a little more daunting, what if they are truly canvassing the market? And the reason that I say this is more daunting is because if they don't have anything lined up, then the Rockets at the moment are not at a great point in regards to their pitch to coaches that are truly open-minded and have lots of possibilities because there's no real stability to the existing Rockets coaching staff. For example, Mike D'Antoni's contract, we've discussed it a lot since the end of the season. It just has one year left on it. If you have a younger, successful assistant coach that's looking at the Rockets or other potential vacancies, if he sees the head coach in Houston only having one year left on his contract, then who's to say that a year from now, the Rockets would move on from Mike D'Antoni, bring in a new coach who then wants to bring in his own staff. And at that point, All the assistants in Houston are back on the market and without jobs. That's kind of scary. 
So if the Rockets don't have agreements already in place, if they are truly canvassing the market, then the D'Antoni contract situation could potentially be a negative for them. And certainly for Mike D'Antoni, it's becoming crystal clear. And within the past week, he's done interviews with Adrian Wojnarowski at ESPN. That's when we first learned way back last Sunday that more changes beyond just Bezdelic could be coming to the Rockets staff. He then late in the week did interviews with Sam Amick at The Athletic and Mark Berman at Fox here in Houston. Mike D'Antoni is doing these interviews in large part, and then his agent is probably setting them up, because they want to pressure the Rockets into not letting him be a lame duck coach going into the final year of his contract. He wants an extension both for personal and financial stability reasons, and I can't blame him. And the Rockets, the reason they have not given that extension, in my opinion, in a perfect world, they'd like to remain flexible. They know D'Antoni's older. They also know how high the bar is with the Warriors, as we were saying earlier. And I think in a perfect world, they'd like to have no financial commitment to D'Antoni beyond this season, see how it works out. And if it doesn't work out, then it's easy to cut bait. There's a clear path to the next coach without having to eat a ton of money. All of that on paper makes sense. The problem in practice is that the coach's stability then can have a role in terms of the attractiveness of the job to the people beneath him. And that's where the Rockets, if they don't already have a good idea for who the replacements are going to be, may need to resolve this Stantoni situation one way or another. Either commit or move on. And I tend to think they would commit because D'Antoni has already said that, or Tillman Fertitta has already said, excuse me, that D'Antoni would be the coach for this coming season. So I doubt they'd then do a 180-degree turn and not bring D'Antoni back, although at this point, you can't rule anything out. The point is that if the Rockets are truly on the market and without names that they feel good about for these posts, then the potential turnover a year from now, if the Rockets make it clear, and with D'Antoni pushing the situation to a head, he clearly wants the extension. He is putting the ball in the Rockets' court, and it's their next move as far as whether they give him the extension or not. If the Rockets don't give him that extension, it's pretty clear that they're trying to preserve their options as far as moving on after next season should they need it. And if that's the case, how attractive is this job to coaches who, assistants that is, that may have a lot of possibilities and can point to other situations that are a lot more stable? What I think all of this tells us is that the Rockets are going to have to decide one way or another, either give D'Antoni the extension, or if you don't believe in him, then maybe reconsider your original decision and bring in someone who you do see and that you do have confidence in long term. Because if you don't have these positions filled, you have got to figure out some way to make the job attractive, and a one-year job is not it. We actually heard from Roy Rogers, who's just 45 years old, one of the outgoing assistants. His agent gave a quote to Jonathan Fagan of the Chronicle. If you want to read the story, go to Jonathan's Twitter page at Jonathan underscore Fagan, in which Rogers said that a one-year contract was not something that they were open to. And he cited the existing deal with Mike D'Antoni as a negative. Now, that doesn't mean that the decision was made based on that. The Rockets independently decided not to bring him back. But I think the thought process for Roy, someone that was already in Houston, it's not a big reach to say that other coaches would see it the same way around the league, especially those with no connection to Houston and lots of options elsewhere. To me, that's the bottom line. If they don't have replacements already lined up, then one way or another, I don't think they're going to be able to move forward with D'Antoni's situation beyond 2020 in flux. 
I think that was an ideal scenario going into the offseason. The reality in practice, if they don't have names lined up, they're going to have to commit one way or the other. And I think that's the next move for the Rockets. It's not so much hiring an assistant or two, unless, again, they've already got someone. And we're talking about the other scenario here. If they don't know who the replacements are, then I don't think the next move is doing that many interviews. I think the next move is one way or another resolving this D'Antoni contract question because from there, then you'll be in a much better spot to lure qualified coaches as the Rockets go out on the market and try to fill these five posts. Anyway, that'll do it for my analysis on this Saturday. This is just my initial read of the situation. Again, I don't think it's an overreaction. I don't think that it's scapegoating. I don't think anyone's lashing out. I think it's a strategic decision for the Rockets from a basketball philosophy perspective that they want to go in a different direction. And as far as what that direction is, who the names are, that's what we'll be discussing in the days and weeks ahead. For now, though, I will sign off and enjoy my Memorial Day weekend. Hopefully you can as well. And of course, come back next week and we'll have more concrete info, hopefully, as far as what the next steps are, be it with Mike D'Antoni's contract, assistant coaching interviews, whatever it may be. Of course, we'll have you covered here at Lockdown Rockets because that's what we do as the most regular podcast covering Houston Rockets basketball. So until our next show, if you want more content, the best place to get it is on Twitter. I'm on there at Ben DuBose. The show is on there at Lockdown Rockets. Beyond that, we've got a Facebook at facebook.com slash Lockdown Rockets, website LockdownRockets.com, an email address LockdownRockets at gmail.com. All those are ways you can access prior content. You can ask me questions about the team, make suggestions for the show, or inquire about how to become a potential sponsor of the program, just as our friends at Hotels.com were today. Remember, don't hate like your friend's trip. Instead, book your own with Hotels.com and get rewarded basically everywhere. That's Hotels.com. Be there, do that, and get rewarded. Also, beyond supporting our sponsors, if you'd be kind enough to support the program, beyond just listening, which I appreciate, you can subscribe. And best place to subscribe, it's our partners over at Himalaya with their new podcast app. But beyond just Himalaya, there's also Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and a whole lot more. Just subscribe, hopefully leave a five-star review. And beyond that, when you get in your car, even if you're not at your subscribing platform and don't have access, you can just tell your smart device to play Podcast Locked on Rockets and get our most recent episode that way as well. With the plugs complete, this is where I will break things on this Saturday. Have a great rest of the weekend, and please come back early next week for more episodes right here at Locked on Rockets, your podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball.